Smoker. We're all awake now. Awesome job, Smoko. Absolutely incredible job. <laughs> Hopefully you're uh, okay with your afternoon dose of uh, caffeine there. Jeez, I'm awake now. Um, I appreciate Annie's story there about uh, that gentleman with the uh, Maserati. I think it, it shows me one of the reasons uh, God's in my life. Um, about 10 years ago, I wish this was something I could say I did as a non-Christian, but uh, my wife and I were out to dinner in Thousand Oaks, and we had a uh, neighborhood restaurant there that's got some serious issues with parking. And, uh, you know, we cruised around the lot, cruised around the lot, cruised around the lot, and there was just this one sort of kind of half spot that was left because this guy was driving a Corvette. Now, mind you, this wasn't a Maserati, so I think this guy had more serious issues. But uh, at the time, I was driving a Kia Sportage, nice purple Kia Sportage. It was my wife's car, <laughs> which became my car for about 10 years. Now, I do have respect for Kia. This thing, uh, we had about 130,000 miles on it. We gave it to a sister in the church who uh, had family in Bakersfield, and her car died, and she went on to get about 265,000 miles out of the car. But uh, I wasn't too worried about scratches on the Kia, and I took the parking spot. Uh, needless to say, that left about four inches in between my car and his driver's door. And again, I'm not proud of this looking back. Andy's uh, much more spiritual than I am. I waited around to, for the guy to come out, and we waited for quite a while, but he walked out, and he was just pacing back and forth behind his car, totally perplexed as to how he was going to get in it. And uh, I took it a step further by walking past and getting in my car and saying, I just wanted to see what arrogance looked like. But uh, I'm sure God was very pleased with me at that moment. Needless to say, I heard about it from my wife, I heard about it from my discipler and multiple individuals, and I'm sure I'll probably hear from some of you before the evening's over. <laughs> but on that note, what we're talking about tonight is courageous families, and uh, I think it's, a, it's an incredible topic. We have a, a lot of courageous families in the church throughout our history in the church. There's been a ton of courageous families that we've had the opportunity to look to. And just even thinking through that, what does a courageous family look like? Well, I think we can see it in a number of different areas. They make a difference. You know, and hearing Kim Hammond share, I really appreciate the stance that she has taken for her family, her stance for God, the impact that's had on her children. I'm sure her husband, and I hope we're all praying for the day that Paul's able to join us back as a part of the active fellowship here. Amen? Uh, the uh, men and women that have been there to help in that way with that family, that's what a courageous family looks like. Someone that's willing to take the time to serve someone else. Those that seek the kingdom first, and not just the kingdom, but God's righteousness as well, is incredibly key. You know, there's certain families that come to mind for me in this congregation. I think about the Blancos, who much later in life realized that they weren't living the life of true Christians. And even as an elder of another church, saw the need to make a decision to make sure that he was doing this the right way, and that Jesus Christ was truly Lord of his life. You know, I look at the Atkins, who are just recent members of our congregation, and that with all the craziness that went on in 2003, when their evangelist basically, the way I view it, is as a hired hand, left the flock, 
were willing to step into that void and take that congregation on from 2003 until recently with a job transfer that Mary had. And I mean, the stories go on and on. We have the single moms over at our house Friday night. And just looking at each of their individual situations and the things that they've been through, they are courageous families, those moms and their children, with the adversity and the challenges that they have, but that willingness to seek God's kingdom first and to take a stand. You know, looking at Helen, who lost her son a few months back, and how she hasn't wavered in her faith, but that's given her the ability to draw closer to God and still see and believe God is working in her life. That is incredible. So we, we've got those stories even within our midst, but with that, I want us to take a look at a gentleman by the name of Noah. I think a great example of a, a father. Oh, we got a flood coming. <laughs> and you know, and, and here's the thing. I think Noah through the years has become, in, in some ways, it's almost like this little cool little nursery story. You know, I, these, I pulled up images on Google, okay? I'm thinking I'm going to get these like really religious, artistic renderings. I mean, what the heck do we have here? We got little toys, you know, with the animals going in the ark and the rainbows and butterflies and all that good stuff. And I mean, that aspect of the story is pretty cool. But ultimately, it gives us zero insight into the kind of man of God that Noah was. And the stance that he was willing to take in, in, in regards to just tremendous adversity, knowing that what he was doing was preparing a means of deliverance for anyone that was willing to seek God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yet we know as we get into this, it was Noah and seven other family members. They were the only ones that were delivered through that ark. Which, you know, hopefully is sobering. In uh, Genesis 5.29, says, Lamech, the father of Noah, was 56. In this passage, we know, we come through this, that Noah's, uh, Noah's dad was 56 when Adam died. And he understood the fall of man. In Genesis 5.29, it says, Lamech named his son Noah... For he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. This is direct reference to what it was that took place in the Garden of Eden. And the toil that man had received because of his unwillingness to be obedient to God. Lamech was 182 years old when Noah was born. This was uh, basically almost 11 centuries after the creation of Adam and Eve. Lamech had his son. And again, Noah, as we can see here, transfers his relief or someone that brings comfort. A Methuselah, who was Noah's grandfather and was a contemporary to uh, Adam for 243 years, he knew firsthand the events that took place in the Garden of Eden. The creation, the provisions that came through God, the fall. And Methuselah and Lamech heard Enoch preach. We know that Enoch walked with God and was taken by God to heaven because of that walk. Genesis 5, verse 24, says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, because God took him away. And Genesis 6, verse 5, says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Now, I can't even begin to imagine, when we look around at this world and what God has created, 
and creating man to have those relationships with all that he blessed man with, this was the outcome. And you know, when we think about it today, from a global standpoint, especially with all that we're hearing that's going on in the Middle East right now, Israel, the West Bank, Palestinians, Syria, I mean, just all the turmoil there, are times really any different today? You know, what we see here is that the Bible teaches that man can become so morally messed up that it's impossible to return to God. In Hebrews 6, verse 4, it says it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. You know, we had in Noah's time, is really a foreshadowing of what we have today. This is what happened in the days of Noah. But we know that Noah was a righteous man. Noah took a stand. Noah was willing to make a difference. And in Genesis 6, verse 8, it says that because of that, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, you think about this. Noah was an incredible man who lived in the midst of runaway immorality, an incredibly godless society. And we know because of the individuals that entered into the ark that he probably didn't even get the greatest of influence from his father or his grandfather because they weren't on the roll call when it was all said and done. We know that God had to cleanse the earth and Noah was responsible for its repopulation. What we're going to do today is a number of things. One, we're going to find out how to find favor in the eyes of the Lord. Two, we're going to find out how to be courageous in the midst of unrighteousness. And three, we're going to find out how to build a modern-day ark. You guys with me? Ready to build that modern-day ark? I'm not talking about the one that some of you may have seen that some guy built in Norway, but we'll look at that a little bit later here today as well. I think one of the things to really understand here is we even saw this in one of the songs that uh, Brian led us in earlier. You know, it's possible to live courageous lives in the midst of unrighteousness. We know that Daniel did it. We know that Abraham did it. We know that Moses did it. Deborah did it. Had to get a few in there for the sisters. Jeremiah did it. Esther did it. Jesus did it. Paul and Silas did it. And each one of us can do it. Amen? See, Noah was a man of courage. And we're going to take a look, uh, turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter, chapter 2. Noah was courageous because he stood alone with God against the world. You know, I would imagine there's those of us that can relate to that in the workplace. You know, just even hearing some of the things that Kim shared about. She's not the only one that has individuals that make advances at them. Satan's always there with another situation, another issue, another whispering voice trying to pull us away. And when those things happen, you know, and I know this is predominantly being addressed in the family ministry today, but singles, you've got those kind of issues as well, right? Things that you're faced with on a daily basis. And I think the thing that we've got to understand is that it's okay to stand alone. There's not a problem with that because the reality of it is we're true baptized disciples. Are we really alone? We've got the Holy Spirit residing within us. We're a phone call away from another spiritual brother or sister that can help us in the midst of those challenges. And this is what we see with Noah. He had to withstand the influence of his grandfather and his father. And I think, you know, today, too many families are following the directions and the traditions of their families rather than God's direction. 
I mean, even as Christians, we can get sentimental. And I think there's going to be more of that sentimentality as we get older. Why? As we get older, we have family members that die. You know, I performed a, a funeral today for Cesar Brito, whose dad died on Tuesday, the 20th. And, you know, those are always very, very challenging times. But at the same time, as true Christians, we understand mortality. We understand what waits at the end of our life. And with that, we should be ready to face that judgment. There, there shouldn't be any fear about what's going to come. It should be a matter of rejoicing, knowing that we are going to be with God in heaven if we stand firm on what God has directed us to do. Noah was courageous because the odds did not stop him. He spoke boldly day after day, week after week, month after year, year after. I didn't count the number of years while the ark was being built, preaching the same message that we're going to take a look at that Peter preached here in 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2 verse 4 reads, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into the gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world when He brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from their trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. I just want to camp on this for a minute. Isn't that awesome to know? I mean, do we believe what is said right here in this verse? The Lord knows how to rescue godly men and women from whatever the trial is. And at the same time, it says He knows how to hold the unrighteous for judgment. It says, while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. With eyes full of adultery, expert in greed, and a cursed brood, these men are the dark. This, these men are springs without water and mist driven by storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of their sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. You know, I remember uh, early on in our marriage. Before I had become a Christian, it was about two years in, being separated from Jackie. And it, it was just amazing the number of people that were into my life trying to make sure that the destruction that had been started was finished. You know, bro, come on out with us tonight, man. We're going to go get wasted. We're going to go here. We're going to go to Vegas. We're going to go to the strip joint. We're going to do whatever. Come on, man. You don't need that woman. There's all kinds of efficiency. I mean, I'm sure many of you have heard it. It's amazing the euphemisms that the amount of euphemisms people have that they can drop in your lap at a moment's notice when they're trying to get you to participate in the same degree of debauchery and misery that they're in. And, and it almost took me out. Unfortunately, a few years later, we were met by Bruce and Nora Teague, and that was a turning point in my life, being able to see what God had in store for me as a Christian. In verse 19, it says, They promised them freedom... And this is what's so weird about this. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to wallowing in the mud. 
And you know, I, I think we, this is a passage we've got to take to heart. This is a warning. This is a caution. And if there are any of us in this group that feel that this would never happen to us, let me tell you, you are arrogant. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what kind of trial is going to happen. You don't know what close member in your family might die or be stricken by cancer or some kind of disease or whatever it may be. And I'm not saying this would be a doomsayer. I'm saying this because we live in a human body that is frail. As it says in James, we are but a mist. We are not promised tomorrow. So how much better to be prepared today than to get caught up in what goes on around us in the world. And some of you may be already wallowing in that slop. Some of you may have already gone back to that vomit. But the thing that's so incredible about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we go back to the cross and we remember what Jesus has done for us personally, guess what? Gratitude comes right back into the heart. We remember what Jesus has done, and we can repent. We get back into the Scriptures. Seeking the kingdom first isn't just some cool thing we throw out, but it's actually being lived in our lives. Noah preached many years without a single convert. Fortunately for him, uh, you know, only his immediate family listened. At least he had that kind of influence with them. And I think as parents, we can't be relying on what's going on outside. The things around us. You know, the schools to get it right for our kids or our teen ministry to get it right for our kids or whatever the case may be. I love what Andy Fleming said at Palm Springs, and I'm going to say it time and time again. Church starts at home around the dinner table. That's where it starts. We are the ones that have those kids. We are the ones responsible for those kids. It is our responsibility alone to model Jesus Christ for them and get them to heaven. Amen? You know, we look at this thing with Noah. We thought we we thought he had it tough. I mean, I go through and I, I've looked at the dimensions of the boat and the the amount of lumber and tar and all the stuff that was involved. It's like, man, if anybody be scratching his head, I mean, he probably did from time to time. Say, God, what the heck is up with this man? Out in the middle of a stinking desert, I got this big old boat. I'm having to cart in all this lumber, stack all this stuff up, and then you want me to collect all these stinky animals as well? Yet, he, he took that stand. He went on with it. You know, we need to preach. I, mean, I had an, an opportunity that, um, on one hand, I was a little embarrassed by it. I don't know why it never came to me, but um, various medical issues from time to time now. And I have this doctor I've had the occasion to see probably three or four times. And I'm sitting in her office, and I'm looking at the pictures of her kids, and I'm thinking to myself, why haven't I invited this woman? So she came back into the office, sat down, and started asking her about her kids. She's got two kids, three-and-a-half-year-old twins, boy and a girl. And I started talking to her about her harvest festival. She's all, oh, my gosh, I'd love to go. My kids would love it. I mean, it was, it was awesome. She just kept going on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking, you know, what if she wasn't here today? I had that opportunity on three separate occasions prior and never opened my mouth. And I think just really making sure that there is that kind of focus. I, I appreciate guys like Anthony Sivitanich and uh, Joe and Fidel who have got this renewed fervor for evangelism. And I've seen it spreading to other people. But, you know, that's what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to preach. And with that, again, Noah, he didn't become discouraged. He didn't become disobedient. You know, and I, I think, just kind of thinking through different members of the fellowship today, I see many who have become discouraged. And even beyond that, that are disobedient when it comes to the Scriptures. 
You know, some of the scriptures that come to mind are Matthew 6, 33, where again, it talks about seeking God's kingdom first. And I think a lot of times for us, that's where it stops. We don't, we don't go any further than that. You know, we got the nice little blurb we can throw out there, the nice little sound bite. But if we continue, it says, and his righteousness. Some of the translations say, seek the kingdom first and the righteousness of Christ. Hebrews 10, 23, just talking about meetings of the body, coming together. You know, there's no place for missing service. There's no place for missing midweeks. There's no place for missing the benefits of discipling, serving, and giving to God's church. But I think with that, we need to heed Noah's example and Paul's warning. You know, this last midweek, I was very encouraged by one brother. And again, I had mentioned the whole situation with Caesar earlier this week. I mean, for him to have lost his dad on Tuesday... He still understood the importance of being a part of God's fellowship Wednesday night. Yet at that same time, we had 30 brothers out of about 84 that decide for whatever reason that midweeks, you know, they're too good for midweek or whatever the case may be. In my 21 years of a Christian, I've never seen such a large degree of lack of commitment for being committed to God's body and just taking some of the basic Christian principles we have and applying them and living it out in this church. That's what makes God's kingdom different. Otherwise, we're just going to go the way of any other denomination that's ever been on the face of this planet, which ends up accomplishing absolutely nothing when it comes to saving the men and women on this planet that have yet to heard the gospel preached. Next slide. Galatians 6, verse 9. And you know, and this may be one of the things that some of us are dealing with. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And you know, and I, I'm just like anybody else. Through those instances, I get weary. And I think my, my biggest problem with God, and I'm going to say it, my biggest problem with God is I don't understand His timing. You know, I mean, you, you can be praying for something forever. And you feel like you got all your ducks in a row, you've done this, that, and the other, and, you know, and that's not what God's about. There's another song we sang earlier today that Jesus kind of puts it in perspective when we think we, you know, all the wonderful things we've done for the kingdom. But Paul's admonishment is right here. Let us not become weary in doing good, and, you know, and this is where it gets funky for me, for at the proper time, and obviously that proper time is God's time, not my time, and I just need to get over it. But it says that at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is what I love about Noah. He kept sowing the seed. He kept preaching. And where did that seed fall? It fell on the hard ground. It didn't take root. Wasn't anything that was accomplished with it. You know, but it didn't matter to him. He stayed the course. God told him to do it. He did it. You know, we need to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. I planted the seeds. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. What does that mean for us? We need to keep planting. We need to keep watering. We need to keep doing what God has called us to do, and God will make it grow. Keep sowing, keep spreading the good news, and with that, not being discouraged. Matthew 7, verse 13. says, enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
You know, we need to really understand that and take the stance again that we see Noah taking here. We need to do our part. God will ultimately take care of the rest. We need to preach righteousness. We need to teach the truth. We need to defend the faith. We need to sow the seed and not worry about the results. When it came to some of the things I said we're going to take a look at, we're going to transition into those now as to how we can ultimately build that modern-day ark. But it it really starts by having the, the heart and the mindset that Noah has. Noah lived by faith and fear. And I think as, as disciples, you know, there's a lot of talks about it when it comes to fear in the Bible, fearing God. But I, I think ultimately, we don't, we don't like that word a lot. We don't like the application. You know, I think of Jackie's dad. He was a guy that instilled fear. But, you know, I uh, look at the outcome of, of his life, uh, the marriage he had with his wife, the incredible daughter that I've been blessed with, Jackie, my wife. You know, the, the guidelines that he set up and some of the things that took place, they were reality. But, you know, it was there for protection. And I think when it comes to a holy fear of God, God knows what tomorrow will bring. He knows what next week will bring. He knows what a month will bring. He knows what will happen with the compromise in our lives. So he wants that reverent fear of him. So I don't, I don't know about you. I don't got a crystal ball. There's nothing that I, I can't look at something stupid I'm going to do today and know what the outcome is necessarily going to be tomorrow. But God does, and that's why he's given me guidelines and directions to abide by. Now, I remember there was uh, this one guy that uh, w- was dating Jackie back in the day. This before me. And um, her dad was a pretty big guy, and he had guns. And uh, this guy showed up at the house at about 12, 12.05. Jackie's curfew was midnight. And, and here's Jim Brown with his shotgun on his shoulder, meeting the guy on the do- at the front door. And he, he says to him, he goes, um, what time are you supposed to have my daughter home? And he's all, uh, midnight. So he takes the gun, and he starts tapping him on the shoulder. Not 12.01, not 12.02, not 12.10, not 12.15, midnight. I think the guy got the point. I don't know if he ever dated her after that, but anyway. <laughs> uh, Jim and I had our issues, but he, he, really, he really came around to liking me. And we used to live in this little bachelor apartment, and he came in when we first got married. He wouldn't even sit down in the place. He thought it was so nasty, I guess. And the, the big joke was we had this vacuum cleaner with a pull-out cord. You didn't have to pull out the cord to vacuum it, but anyway. He, he did tell her at one point, don't mess this one up, Jackie. You got yourself a good one. He was a good guy. I love him. <laughs> what are you guys laughing at? Okay, so Noah lived by faith and fear. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, when he warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. If that holy fear hadn't been there with the obedience, with the ark, with the means of deliverance, I mean, I'll be willing to bet you that Jesus experienced holy fear before he went to the cross. The whole thing there was about him being obedient to what God established for him. You don't think he was fearful? Yet he was willing to take that stand, and we've been delivered today because of it. It says, by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we hear, we hear we see faith and fear working together. You know, again, kind of already tagged this, but what led to the building of the ark? That holy fear that Noah had for the direction he received from God. James 2 verse 22 says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. 
And his faith was made complete by what he did. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You know, again, guys, just being a member of this church, claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be a disciple, don't kid yourselves. It's not going to get you to heaven. That in and of itself ain't going to get it done. There's a lot of people that claim a lot of things in this life, and it doesn't mean jack. Not a bit. The reality here is whether or not that faith is matched by the actions. And we know what God calls us to do. The question is, are we doing it? Do we live in godly fear? Or do we think we've always got tomorrow maybe to repent or change it up or get things back online? We're not promised tomorrow. Noah was made perfect through obedience. In uh, Genesis 6, verse 9, it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Another passage here that comes across with a similar message. You know, we look at this here, the thing we can see is that Noah was perfect. Not sinless, but perfect and blameless. Why? Anybody? He was obedient. He took the direction that God gave him. That's why he was righteous before God. God told him the right thing to do. Moses did the right thing. Righteous, blameless, pure, perfect before God because of his actions. We see this with somebody else as well. Hebrews 5, verse 8, verse 8 and 9 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Well, how about that? What made Jesus perfect before God? Obedience. We have that same opportunity. We do, right? I mean, you know, maybe it's that reticence to, you know, obedience, that what that word means in our heads. Oh, my gosh, I've got to listen to somebody. Or, you know, there's somebody in authority I might need to follow. And I think that is human nature. That's why the whole face of the planet was wiped out at the time of Noah. Noah was the only one willing to take the direction. So we see here with Jesus, Jesus was not made perfect until he obeyed. It's the same thing with us today. Noah was made perfect before God for the same reason, because of his obedience. And the thing that's so encouraging to me is we can be made perfect before God. There's no, there's no magic to this. There's no being born on the right side or the wrong side of the tracks. It's just a matter of whether or not we're really truly willing to surrender and make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. You know, we see here is that God told Bill, Noah to make an ark, gave him the dimensions and a list of the materials to be used, and he took the direction. You know, and like I said earlier, I'm sure Noah had his issues from time to time. But, you know, it's the same way with us. How about just obeying because God says so? How about just coming to everything because God said so? How about being discipled because God says so? How about discipling others because God says so? How about giving our time and our money because God says so? 
And you know, and here's the thing. Some of you may just say, well, you know, I, did, I, I don't know, man. I, it's not feeling it. It's just not feeling it in here. Well, you know, the thing that's amazing that has amazed me through the years, if, if I do something, even though I'm not totally fired up about doing it and it's the right thing, I imagine many of you have experienced this. Doesn't the heart kind of follow eventually? And then you got the best of both worlds. You're doing it and you love doing it. It's not just doing it because you think you have to. And that's what God wants. He wants it on a heart level, but you know what? Heart level or not, He still expects the obedience. Because Noah was just and perfect, he was said to have walked with God. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a look at building that modern-day ark. Look how cool graphics or what? You know, you, you guys weren't watching, I know you want to see it again. <laughs> I, I was so excited about this. You know, I'm doing the little audio tracks now, and, you know, all the cool little move-ins. And... Okay, watch, we get the little explosion here with the church. Now, uh, isn't that cool? <laughs> now, th there's this guy in uh, Norway that has actually built this replication of the Ark. Uh, it's about a fifth of the actual size. And you can see that thing's pretty good, pretty good size based on it. It's taken him about three years. And he's, it says it's going to take over 100,000 visitors for him to break even on it. But, you know, this is what really we're called to do by God. God told Noah to build an ark and gave him the exact dimensions and the list of materials to use. He's done the same thing with us. He's given us a pattern that we need to obey. Today, we've been given the dimensions and the materials to, uh, in this present day to build the ark, which, based on my slide here, what would the modern-day ark be? The church. What did the ark do? Save people. Was it not a means of deliverance? Isn't that the same thing with the church today? Noah built a physical ark to deliver physical people. We're building a spiritual church to deliver people spiritually. So the things we're going to look at right now are when it comes to the church, how is it to be constructed? Matthew 22, verse 36. Whoops, got ahead of me there. Can we back that one up? Matthew 22, verses uh, 36 through 39. Why is that not staying? <laughs> well, we, we know what Matthew 22, 36 and, and forwarding says, right? What does God call us to do? Jesus laid out what the greatest commandment was. We need to love who? God with our heart, soul, and strength. Oh, now, now it's back up there. Is it going to stay? <laughs> stay. <laughs> Caesar lunch. Um, Matthew 23, verse 36 says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the foundational aspect of our modern-day art. This is how we are called to build the church. If we don't love God... Can we build this church? If we don't love God, can we be obedient to Him? If we don't love God, can we love the lost? And this is, again, a very foundational teaching here. 
The next thing we need to look at when it comes to building this modern-day ark is what is it to be made of? Well, we should know this. Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Of where? Doing what? Yeah, very simple. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is to be made of. And then from there, how do we take care of it once we get that ark loaded on up? Matthew 28 in closing, verse 20. Once we've ushered everybody on into the ark, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, what would have happened to Noah's ark if he hadn't obeyed God's plan? You know, what if he decided that the uh, kafir, the tar used to seal it, was too much of a hassle, or he didn't like the way it was all over his hands at the end of the day, or had a hard time with the smell, and decided, you know, I'm just going to slap some mud on the holes. Or what if the, the particular type of wood that God told him to use, he opted for something like fossil wood, which I'm sure would have been a heck of a lot lighter than the stuff he was working with. Or what if he had made it smaller? What if he had chinced on the dimensions? What if, what if he had just eyeballed it? Would it have been that means of deliverance? Probably not. You know, and it's the same way for us today. You know, if we do not build the ark our personal church and the collective church according to what God's pattern is as Noah's ark would have sunk this ark will sink see Noah was saved through his courageous obedience and this applies to us as well Noah is an example that we need to emulate he was courageous he was righteous he was faithful he was full of godly fear and that led him to go on and be incredibly victorious with what God had called him to do he was obedient I'm going to close this out in uh, 1 Peter 3. See, the, uh, during Noah's day, the water represented a means of deliverance, physical deliverance. Today, water represents the same thing. It's a means of deliverance, in our case, spiritual deliverance. 1 Peter 3, verse 21 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience before God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, water cleansed the world of filth in Noah's day, and the ark was that means of physically repopulating the world. Today, with the responsibility we've been called to as disciples, we've been called to build the modern-day ark, the church. We've been given the command to repopulate the world today spiritually with disciples that love God and love their fellow men. You know, for those of you that are here with us that are studying the Bible, the challenge to you today is be courageous. What are you waiting for? I mean, is there anything out there in this world that should slow you down from making that commitment, knowing that not only will it have an impact on your life today, but it'll have an impact on your life for eternity, and even more so, if you've been through some of the fundamental studies, you know, 1 Timothy 4.16 talks about persevering in both your life and your doctrine, and if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. What incredible impact one individual can have if they live in accordance with the Scriptures. 
You know, for those of us that are disciples, and those of you that are drifting, it's time to repent and seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. It's time for you to be courageous in those areas and change the various things that you've set up in your life that have been leading you gradually away from the kingdom. Whether it's your job, your hobbies, situations you've got going on in the school with your kids. What are you dedicating your children to? Is it to all these things we've got going on around us? Are you dedicating them to the Lord? And that means the best means of doing that is being dedicated yourself. Because I can tell you right now, with a 23-year-old and a 25-year-old, they don't have a problem pointing out the hypocrisy in Dad's life. Right, Shay? <laughs> Final slide. Today, the waters of baptism will wash away the dirt of sin if we've believed, if we've repented, and we've confessed the name of Christ. Taking these things into consideration today, the thing that I want to encourage you to do, walking away from here, is really assessing your stance before God right now. Is it the same stance that you committed to the day that you decided you were going to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life and you were baptized? And if that, is the, if that is the case, amen, that's awesome. It means you've been able to maintain that degree of gratitude, which ultimately translates into a degree of zeal and enthusiasm, which those around you will see and want to be a part of. If you haven't, the challenge for you today is to figure out what it is that you've allowed to slip into your life that has have you lost sight of that narrow path that Jesus calls us to stay on. And my encouragement would be to pull somebody aside, get together with someone that can help you scripturally, you know, I appreciate Kim Hammond having the humility to pull people in and be real about what she's going through and getting the help so she could stay on that path. Because I guarantee you, there'll be a point in time that she and Paul are going to be sitting in this church again because of the stance that she's taken and the fact that she hasn't listened to those whispers been trying to pull her away and show her that there's something easier out there, which is a crock. There isn't anything easier out there. The only thing you've got out there, aside from what we're doing here, is walking without Christ. And I dare anybody to tell me and show me how that's easier than having the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to walk with and help us deal with the issues and the challenges we can have in this life. Let us all be courageous men and women like Noah, the messenger of relief. With that, let's go out and face this new life and really recommit to living the life that Jesus Christ has called us to by seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness. Amen. God bless.